Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Masters in Business with Barry Ritholtz on Bloomberg Radio. This week on our Masters in Business podcast, I actually have a really special guest. I know I say that every week and you guys make fun of me, but this is a really special guest. His name is Art Sandberg. He is a legend amongst both hedge funds and venture capital investors. Uh, he has a phenomenal track record. When he began, his hedge fund was l- one of less than 100 funds that were in existence. And he briefly, he tells the story how we get a call from the Wall Street Journal to find out that his hedge fund is apparently uh, George Soros had retired and um, Julian Robertson had retired. And suddenly he's running the biggest hedge fund in the world at the time. And not not that that was his design or his focus, but it just kind of happened. He's a fascinating guy. He's, he's literally a rocket scientist, a, an aeronautical engineer who used to work on on missiles and satellites and things like that before he moved to Wall Street. He tells some of, some of those stories, and they're quite fascinating. Our conversation about venture capital investing and the areas he's looking into is really quite amazing. And, you know, you guys by now know uh, I'm not afraid to talk. Most of the time during this conversation, we're just sitting, I'm just th- lobbing questions and listening um, in rapt attention as as to what he said. It wasn't until later in the podcast I actually come out of my shell. But um, the elephant in the room is, uh, you know, it, it's public knowledge. Uh, there was an SEC investigation. It was started, it finished, it reopened again. Ultimately, he ended up settling without admitting or denying, um, paid a $28 million fine, I think it is, and and as the SEC tends to do, had him sign a non-disclosure agreement or, or something to that effect. So we really couldn't get into that in great detail, um, but I did bring it up and he did respond, I thought, in a rather forthright way, uh, as much as he's allowed to say, he, he said, um, really interesting guy, fascinating background. And some of the stories he tells are, they're just amazing. So sit back uh, and brace yourself for our couple of hours with Art Sandberg. This is Masters in Business with Barry Ritholtz on Bloomberg Radio. This week on Masters in Business, I have a very special guest. His name is Art Sandberg, and he's been running various hedge funds and venture capital funds for a good couple of decades, posting fairly spectacular returns. I'm only going to give a short version of your CV because it will take up the whole segment. Otherwise, launched a hedge fund. Uh, it was Sandberg, Dawson Sandberg, not Pete Dawson Sandberg. In the, originally, back in 86... Back when there was 50 hedge funds, something like That's that? That's the number I made up, but it's under 100. It was a small number of hedge funds, put up returns over the life of, of his funds of almost 18%. And the interesting thing about Mr. Sandberg doesn't come from the traditional 
business, economic background, undergraduate, um, bachelor's of science in aeronautics and astronautics from MIT, and then a master's degree in those subjects from Stanford. So really, you're a rocket scientist. Aren't you? I was. You were a rocket scientist. I no longer am. And then you end up getting your MBA from Columbia. We'll talk a little bit about some of your uh, classmates at Columbia. There's mm -hmm. some really interesting stories there. Uh, you currently are the chairman of the MIT, I'm no. sorry, sits on the board of advisors of the MIT Energy um, Initiative, and you were chairman of the MIT Investment Management Company. Correct. Um, and I sit on the executive committee. Um, and I'm very, very involved in the school. There, there's so many other things and so many other titles you have. You're very active in philanthropy and a, a variety of other things. We'll get into that as the show goes on. Let me just start by saying welcome to Bloomberg. It's great to be here. Thank you, Barry. So first, I, I have to ask, you were at Lockheed Missile and Space Company in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. you, you come to New York, you get your MBA from Columbia, and then you end up working as a security analyst at Kidder Peabody. Mm -hmm. How do you transition from literally rocket scientist to financial analyst? Um, you got to follow your passion. You got to follow your competitive advantage. And um, I quickly found out that I could solve the equations, but I had no idea what was really going on. Um, I, I worked in missile attitude control. Um, so these define, rockets- Define missile attitude control. So the, we, we, the U.S. launches rockets. Um, satellites come off of those. They looked down on Russia back then, um, and they have infrared sensors, and they find out where uh, the Russians are launching rockets. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of orbital mechanics. And I could solve the equations, but did I really have any clue as to what was actually going on? I quickly found out that I did not. So you so, go to Kidder Peabody, you're covering aerospace and, and those sort yeah, of companies? Yeah, it's sort of interesting how I made the transition. I I, I, I wasn't going to go to graduate school, but uh, Lockheed would pay for it. So I said, sure, you're going to pay for it, I'll do it. So I went to Stanford, uh, and it was during the day, and on the way back, I would stop off at a brokerage office, and it was the time when Comp CompSat went public. Oh, sure. Now, that's something I know something about. This is Satellites. what, the 1960s? Yeah, I got out of uh, MIT in 62, and I was working as an engineer from 62 to 65, mm -hmm. someplace in that time period. CompSat launches, the company goes public, uh, and I'm fascinating. It's like, my goodness, all the stuff that I know I can apply to making real money. Um, <laughs> as opposed to... As opposed to working dollars. my way up the engineering right. ladder where I had no illusion that I would ever be great. That so, was a good middle-class job, but you're never going to totally, make the real bucks totally. over that. My dad was an electrician. Mm. Um, so you were making more money than your dad when you were working for Lockheed. Absolutely. So then how did you go from there to Columbia? Um, uh, because my wife uh, needed to uh, get a job teaching school. In New York. Uh, any place. And the only place I knew for sure she could get one was back in New York because I, I had some, I, I some, people. some people. Sure. So you go to Columbia, yep. and, and this is a rumor, and you have to tell me if this is true. You used to carpool to Columbia with two guys named Mario Gabelli and Lee Cooperman? Uh, it's no rumor. It's the actual truth. That's a, that's a lot of intellectual was, firepower learned, in that vehicle. I learned, learned more in the carpool than I did at school. <laughs> um, don't tell don't tell the school I said that. Okay. I co-chair the board there uh, too. By, so. by the way, the school that you're you're dissing right now, you made the biggest donation well, in their history to their to their graduate program, um, didn't you? It's it's been exceeded by um a couple of other guys now, but um People it, it get was a large no I, I my my success in life is um is is taking um a decent 
expertise in technology and combining it with finance and trying to apply those two things to help companies aggregate capital um, and grow and create jobs. And so I'm one of those guys who believes in all of that good stuff. Are there many people who don't believe? Uh, I there think, are a lot of people who don't believe. I think people believe it. They just get offended by some of the gross excesses that yeah. occasionally erupt. I think they're also jealous. Um, there's there's possible and possibly there's an element jealousy. of that. Yeah. So so one of the things we've had Lee Cooperman on. I know you mm-hmm. guys are, are friendly. One of the things that Lee talked about was how he developed his deep value framework right. from Columbia. Right. What What was your experience like? Um, my experience was I was the antithesis of deep value. <laughs> okay. Um, I remember uh, Mario Lee and I. Uh, well, Mario and I took a course uh, from Roger Murray, who was the guy sure. who reinstituted the value investing stuff at Columbia. He got a he got one grade higher than I did because it was analysis of a company where it turned out that the really key factor was the old man who found it was going to die, mm-hmm. and then value would be created, which Mario was fantastic at. Mm-hmm. I thought that was disgusting. I mean, <laughs> I really am interested in people who are alive and doing things. You you care about the technology. You have the physics I background. About, I care about solving the world's problems and getting rich while doing it because i think the two actually do work together well many people who have created solutions to pernicious problems have not only helped society but created a tremendous amount of wealth along the way i think that's the american way and i think it's phenomenal you're listening to masters in business on bloomberg radio we're speaking with art sandberg he is the founder of pequot capital management and now he's running hawks Financial, uh, uh, venture capital, and Hawks is a umbrella family you know, office, family venture office. capital, all stuff. Um, we we do have a fund though that my do. older son is now the managing partner of. We call it Acadia Woods, uh, and it's increasingly showing up in the holdings of some very interesting companies. Oh, that that's fascinating. Let's talk about. Um, we mentioned earlier less than a hundred hedge funds when you launched. I believe. And and the fund returned a, a, a rather smart – by the way, that's very similar to uh, Lee Cooperman's returns, 17.8%. Lee is a great friend. Mine's better. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're about half a percent ahead Well, of and I will say because I, you know, I believe that numbers are numbers and you right. don't fool with numbers. I was you – know, I did go to MIT. But my first year, I was down 26%. Uh, you were down huge. I want so to talk about that. So if you were to adjust it, like mo- most people have – up 100% first years when they're teeny. Then the teeny, money pours in, right. And then the money pours in, and then depending the dollar, on when you came in, you might not have even made money with one of these guys with a great record. The, the Not true here. The <laughs> dollar-adjusted returns, not the time-weighted returns, right. for a lot of big funds are awful because they were putting up 80% totally. returns with $20 million. Yeah. Then they're at $45 billion and they lose a third. Yes. So net-net, over time, they're a dollar loser, but percentage-wise, um, on a time-weighted basis. I've, I've never had the chance to say this before, but that is absolutely not the case of Pequot. <laughs> so you were down 26%, and one of your quotes that I really like was, you learn more from your disappointments than you do from your successes. You do. Explain. Success feeds on success, and people are there to tell you how wonderful you are. People don't really, unless money unless, attracts money is money the expression my money. mother used to tell you me, bet. and I and, never understood it until a few years ago. And 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 if you if you do that for a long enough period of time, my belief, 
um, clearly my belief, is that people then want to start to tear you down. They either want to continue to build you up or tear you down. Mm-hmm. And there, there, you there become are many a high-profile target. You become a high-profile target. So um, you're not going to hear a lot of things you believe uh, about what you're doing wrong when you're doing right. Um, but you are doing things wrong. And, All the um, time. And then if you just go into a shell and you don't realize and self-analyze and you know really look carefully at what you did and why it failed – um, you will not do well. So after I was down, because that was the crash of 87, and it was brutal. You had launched, what, a year it was down earlier? 26%. Yes, right. I launched a year earlier. Oh, so earlier. you did worse than the crash. Uh, well, that's, that was a one-day no, thing. No, it was a one-day thing. The market was up almost 41% and ended Correct. up returning 1% for the Correct. year. Correct. That was uh, a big, big downdraft. It was, it was brutal. Um, and I remember having the – because I, I, when I started the fund, it was to invest in small companies that were uh, overlooked that could become big companies. Those are exactly the kind of illiquid positions that got creamed. In I the, can in imagine. The so I ended up having, assuming that I was going to get redemptions, I had to call uh, companies and say, would you buy my stock? Um, that is, the, if for anybody who knows anything about anything, that is not a good way to uh, to <laughs> execute a sell program. No. But there were no other buyers. Really? So I got smoked. Um, and I so it was up 3%. For my stub period in 86, and I was down 24, 25, or 26, I can't remember, percent in 87. But then it came roaring back. So what was what was the subsequent couple of years? So in other words, you put up 18, almost 18% a year despite starting from that, that yeah, hole. Yeah, so if you were to just do the simple math, it would take it up by- um, Probably closer to 20% if you backed over, out that over, year. Over, over 20. Um, the next few years, we're up 20, up uh 75 up I mean, it's just you know crazy the, numbers right in the late 80s up 75 uh, starting in back in 89 mm-hmm. um well 87 88 and then and then 96 97 98 well, they, 99 those, those i can were, imagine those were, those were crazy years. just insane what sort of numbers were you doing those years uh, you know 60 percent um, just nuts but one of the things i did at pequot was to realize that um because because I, I was sort of the first guy to really specialize in technology investing as a as, as a hedge as, fund. As a hedge fund, really? Uh, yeah, uh, without a doubt. And I oh, that's fascinating. So I started I no... sector funds, and uh-huh. I had I, I I had a great partner, uh, Dan Benton, who, uh, who who then took over the technology stuff because I thought I had a broader background in the whole business and I right. could run the business and everything else. And he had a hundred percent year. I had a healthcare fund that was up one hundred twenty five percent in that time period. Um, we started an energy fund. Um, so we had sector funds, and I devised a way for me to manage increasing amounts of money by using those talents and bringing them into the fund while right. still doing trying to do research myself. In the early days of the fund, someone had written, and I, I don't remember where I'm quoting this from, that it was over $15 billion and kept growing, and at the time- that made it the biggest hedge fund in the yeah. world. Is that well, true? You wake up and um, and you wake up to unexpected news every once in a while, yeah. and that's happened to me more than once in my life. But um, the unexpected news in this case was uh, in the spring of 2000. Um, we had a PR firm, and the PR firm calls and says um, the Wall Street Journal um, is going to do a story uh, on uh, hedge funds now that George Soros and Julian Robertson have decided to close down to right. outside investors, and they have determined that you are the largest hedge fund in the world. And Serving write, outside clients at that point, yes, in other words. Sir, and, and, and they will do the article um, with or without your input. 
Um, and we suggest you probably should tell your right. part of the story. I don't think anybody really, I mean, people on Wall Street knew who Peak What was, right. but I, I don't like publicity. I like to just live my life, do my thing, give back. I believe I do give back. Um, and, and I'm not out for self and grandizement. And uh, so we were unknown. And then all of a sudden on a Monday morning or bang. Tuesday, bang, uh, there it was. And uh, my life changed. Really? In in what ways? No, nothing positive. <laughs> <laughs> so hence the low profile is the better way to go. Uh, I've tried to maintain that ever since. And as you know, Barry, that was one of my reluctances about doing this. I do know. And, and for listeners, uh, I've been chasing art down for the better part of a year. And um, after our conversation with Lee Cooperman, Lee eventually convinced you, oh, this guy isn't that bad. You should come, you should come talk <laughs> so to him. So far, you're okay. So, so far, so good. You're listening to Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. My guest today is Art Sandberg. He is a former rocket scientist who became an analyst, hedge fund manager, and venture capitalist. L let's talk a little bit about your methodology because we've already identified you're not a deep value investor like your friends Lee and Mario, um, Lee Cooperman and Mario Gabelli, what is your methodology when you're looking at either a public stock that you're thinking about buying or a private company that you're thinking about investing in? Um, it, 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 it sort of starts from the same, um, it, it starts from the same basis, which is what, what kind of change is possible? What kind of change can you find that is being implemented by smart people? Um, it, it becomes more difficult, obviously, uh, as um, a trend goes on and as you become larger in size. You can't, you really can't establish those positions. Um, but initially, my, my, my fund was set up to invest in market caps, if you can believe this in this day and age, but we're talking 30 years ago now, of market caps under, under $200 million, mm -hmm. uh, yada, yada, yada. And then, of course, it changed. 30 years ago, under $200 million. Yeah. Today, that's still thousands of companies. Yes, but they trade yeah. by appointment. There's not a lot of liquidity over there. Which is the only kind of things I own my personal account right now, and I won't talk about any of those. But um, illiquid, I, I, I'm back thinly to being, traded. I'm back to being able to do what I first did when I um, when you started when I started the business. Um, you know, uh, creating alpha through that cycle. Um, becomes difficult. Um, and and so that approach that I described, um, you have to evolve into a, a, a master of markets, as it were, to be able to go short, know how to use derivatives, appropriately match you know the cost of doing that to um, the potential upside. And uh, that's become increasingly difficult for uh, practitioners these days. And the results, quite honestly, have been pretty pretty mediocre. When we look at the small cap, there are guys like David Booth of Dimensional Funds who've created a very nice business focusing on the the small cap um, advantage, the fact that you actually see outperformance from smaller caps um, versus the, the big, well-followed. There's an inefficiency among small caps that leads to potential higher returns. Well, I think there's a higher growing inefficiency. Um, because we all know what's happened to employment in the brokerage industry. We all know how many companies are followed. It's declining all the time. The economics aren't there with the regulation. Um, there are burdens on the companies plus the financial companies to follow them. Um, so the value is definitely there. The problem is that nobody knows when you're going to get paid for that value. If David 
right. has managed to harvest some of these. More power to him. But I think some of the guys I know, of, uh, 300 billion now for 300 billion at, at dimensional funds. Yeah, maybe it's they buy, to but they buy a position in everything, don't they? Uh, they have a quantitative model. They end up holding these yeah. things forever. I wouldn't say everything. They run through a number of screens. Oh, no, I'm not but, denigrating what they do. But, but basically- it's, it's very different than, than the sure. model I'm talking about. For sure. Uh, I'm trying to identify winners. Um, and there, are, in my experience in life, there aren't that many winners. So you mentioned earlier you're running your own assets as opposed to when you were running other people's money. Yes. How does that universe difference? What's what's it like running your own money versus what you have to deal with when you have outside well, investors? It's, it's very simple. You don't have to report. Okay. Um, I do have to report to. Uh, I have two sons who I do it with, mm -hmm. um, and I have a daughter who runs our family foundation. She and my wife. Um, so in our family, uh, the males make the monies, and the females are a social conscience and 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 help us give it back. Mm -hmm. um, so my boss is really the the, the women in the Sandberg <laughs> clan. Okay. Um, they expect that I will always perform. I will perform well, and we will do great great deeds for the world um so you still like have tough. other other investors to yeah. uh to answer to but i i i, I can deal with that because they are my family so it's a little it's a little easier it's so easier so we were talking about the increased regulatory environment and how things have changed from when you launched 30 years ago could you launch a fund today how what let's say hypothetically you're right out of business school today what would it be like launching a fund in this environment I guess in some ways it's easy. Well, I, I, talking about today, today, um, I don't really know because I haven't been that involved or involved at all. But um, at, at the peak of my success, it was simple for anybody to raise a fund. I mean, everybody was looking for the next great manager and they'd throw money at them with fat return, you know, return profiles for, for the manager. Mm -hmm. um, I think that welcome has been worn out. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that welcome has been worn out. So now I think if you don't have a nest egg, um, you're not going to make it. So you better have made some money um, before. And, and before and put it at risk in doing what you're doing. I certainly did that um, back when because – you, if you're down 20%, you, you can't really pay your bills. So no. you, you better you better have something to live on and then decide whether you really want to take the risk for your family and everything um, going forward. Um, I think you went through a whole generation of people who didn't have that risk. They just were having money thrown at them. Uh, and now there's a sorting out process going on. So I think it's, it's much more difficult right now to sort a fund. You're listening to Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. My guest this week is Art Sandberg, probably best known for Pequot Management, although he has been a well-regarded uh, venture capitalist and philanthropist over the years. Let's talk about running a business, what it's like to run an investment management business. I, some time ago, read a speech you had given, and you had talked about how challenging it is to find and hire the best people. Mm -hmm. what, Without a doubt. What, why, how significant is that, and why is that such a challenge to an investment firm? Um, it's a challenge because um, uh, there are a lot of smart people out there. 
Um, so if you meet somebody and you talk to them, um, you know, you're not going to think everybody's smart, but you're going to think a lot of people are smart. And mm-hmm. then trying to distill down those who appear to be smart into those who are going to be really effective in managing money, who are going to be um, easy to live with because you have to live with these people, mm-hmm. um, who aren't the kind of guys who become megalomaniacs and uh, think that all the success is due to their efforts and not because of the team's effort. Right. Um, very, very difficult. Very difficult. How how soon after you make a key hire do you usually know if you're right or wrong? Um, well, I won't I won't do anything that the key hire um, tells me to do uh, on the first recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, I always wait to see how that works out. Not because I don't believe in it, but I believe it's a it's a, it's a far better learning uh, example to pick that one apart about what went right, what went wrong. Um, so objectively, with no money at risk, and, exactly and then right. subsequently you exactly feed up right. for, for and, the next. And, one. and then and then you. You progress from there, but um, I, the the great the great fortune I had when I started Pequot was um, I, I hit a hot streak of hiring, and um, you know you like to think it's all because of yourself, but I you know I, I brought in Dan Benton, I brought in Mark Broach, I brought in Peter Dartley, I brought in Jerry Shendell, I brought it. The first four hires that I made were spectacular, mm-hmm. and. Um, then it gets harder because they hire people and you hire other people and all of a sudden there's a lot of people and all of a sudden you're getting bigger and all of a sudden you have back office issues and all of a sudden every client wants to talk to you right. and it's just very, very difficult to maintain your focus. But those are those are good problems. Those are success no, problems. No, they're great problems. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather have those problems than not have them, but they are problems. Right. Uh, well, they're better problems than why is the fund doing so yeah, poorly? Right. Why have five of your employees left? Why? You know, those are bad problems. Yeah, well, that's when you get into the point where so much money is coming in that the consultants control the as they right. should. I mean, they have a fiduciary responsibility. But do they? I'm not sure if consultants have a fiduciary responsibility. Um, the consultants don't, but the boards at hospitals, okay. the boards at educational institutions, whatever, they do, and they need the cover of the consultants. Um, uh, not Who are just conflicted cover. Cover is going to sound worse than it. That, that I intended they to. They need the plausible, uh, somebody to point a finger at when things go wrong. They also need somebody who's going to do it full time. I mean, usually the people who are on these committees are very, very busy. Part time, you know, it's not a full time job. Part time, they've got very active uh, careers that they're very good at, and uh, they have to delegate to somebody. So the infrastructure builds up. Anything that is successful creates either regulators, consultants, it, it, an infrastructure around that activity that um, is a challenge to to people who are really- It's a drag on future returns and and operations. It's inevitable. There's there's no way around that? I I didn't know it was inevitable. I just always thought it was- uh... Inevitable. (laughs) Okay. Um, One of the themes that we've had in the show, I'm going to change gears on you, has been the role of luck, whether it's in business or investing or even careers. Lee talked about this. Cliff Asnes talked about this. A number of people, uh, Bill Gross talked about this. What is the role of luck in in building a firm and making investments? How does it affect people's professional careers? I'm sure it's a major um, uh, it's a, it's a major causal effect. But if you think about it, um, that's the biggest mistake you can make. I mean, I, I I never thought about boy, am I lucky. I mean. 
after I had achieved the success, perhaps I thought, "Bah, that was lucky." But you know, not 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 while I was doing it. I while mean, you're doing it, what are you focused on? You focus on your core principles. You know, what 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 is it that you bring to the table that's different than other people? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you um, how, how how do you build an organization around you that that amplifies that? that competitive advantage um, and stay, you know, and, and continue to learn and, 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 and learn from your setbacks, all the things we talked about before. But to think that I don't really believe it was because of luck. I think it was because I was, I was, I was, I was driven. Mm-hmm. Um, I, did I have setbacks? You bet I had setbacks, but um, uh, I viewed those as setbacks and, and things to overcome. Not, not like someday I'm going to get lucky. So I'm going to keep, keep doing this. So uh, you really have more of an engineer's approach, which is here's the formula, we're going to plug and chug, and right, ultimately totally. you come out with the conclusion on the other end. Totally. So we have the Pope in town. It's, that makes it appropriate to talk a little bit about charity and giving back. We've we've right. talked about that. Right. You have a number of philanthropic causes, organizations. You have your foundation. Let's let's talk a little bit about about that. First question is what are your philanthropic goals? Um, I don't know what the goals are, you know, to, to create a better world, yada, yada, yada. But, um, but a lot of this is formed by, by, by your life experience. So my mm-hmm. life experience is that my grandfather came over from Russia and Poland. Um, one, one was a tailor. Um, uh, my dad, who was a very bright guy, uh, was the oldest of five. His, his, his father lost his job in the Depression, and he, mm-hmm. he ended up becoming an electrician because he had to support the family. But we, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a strong family, and my parents did everything they could to help me get along. And so I got into MIT. Um, which is the ultimate in a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. Um, you 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 do the work, you do well. You don't do the work. It you know it's. I think it's a great institution. I think mm-hmm. I, I wish I wish America reflected more more of its core values. But I realized that you know I got I got to go there and I, and and all that. It was it was sort of somewhat random. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and there are a lot of people born in this world who have the same talents that I had, um, who are never going to have that chance. And I got to write that. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't make the world perfect, uh, and, and create equality across the board for everybody. But, but if I can affect the lives of a, a number of kids, um, who don't have the opportunity I had because of just the way the you know the, the their their family circumstances are. Um, I want I want to make that difference. So how do you express that in terms of of in terms of philanthropy? What, um, what do you guys we, do with that? We 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 do that um, uh, by supporting um, lots of uh, startup venture you know philanthropies that are in the area of uh, uh, education, uh, healthcare. I could name names. There's the Go College ahead. Summit, Health Leads. Um, we, we were instrumental in getting the two of those started. They're 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 highly respected, um, and they're, they're my daughter who runs our foundation will be annoyed at me if I forget all of them. Um, I also, you know, I'm Jewish and mm-hmm. uh, uh, believe um, you know believe in the Jewish people, and so we were original investors in um, uh, Birthright Israel. Um, uh, as and, was uh, your friend Lee. 
Uh, Lee, Lee, Lee was is an investor in Birthright Israel. We, we were one of the fourteen founding families, mm-hmm. um, uh, and 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 a number of other things. So it's um, those dual things, you know, giving back to your heritage, giving back to people who don't have the opportunities you had, but certainly have the ability that you had. Um, How does I, that manifest itself in terms of scholarships or getting kids who might not otherwise get to? A place like MIT to that sort of school. I am told by the school, and I I, I, I can't say this is true that, that the scholarships I've given um, is, I've given the largest amount of money in scholarships to MIT. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's true. Uh, my wife is very involved uh, with Westchester Community College, and and uh, we're, we're we're big supporters of Westchester Community College. Um, uh, Columbia Business School, which I co-chair with with Henry Kravis, um, we, we've got a major campaign going right now to uh, build a new business school up on the Manhattanville campus. Um, I, and I I did a matching um, grant um, for uh, twenty five um, uh, fellowships uh, at, uh, um, at at Columbia. Um, so it's 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 not it's not per se about buildings. It's about you know, giving to the kids, giving to the professors. We have a program at uh, uh, Columbia Presbyterian or Pres- New York Presbyterian um, where we uh, have a thing called the Sandberg Scholars in Pediatrics, enable them to hire a whole bunch more research people and fill in some gaps in there. And so the emphasis is on young people and health. Um, and it's a it's a pretty well thought out thing. My my, my wife and I uh, and our three kids are on the uh, board. Um, we, uh, you know, we take it very, very seriously. My goal, you know, is to take care of my family. But uh, if I die without a penny to my name, um, that would be just that would be ideal. Trying to figure out how you manage that is uh, not the easiest thing in the world. But so, if someone wanted to find out more about um, the charities and philanthropies you support, is there a place they could go online to look at that, or is this all? Um, various meetings and committees and what have you. Um, we have a website for the <laughs> Sandberg Family Foundation, which we don't ever talk about, so this is the first time I've ever mentioned it. Uh, that does not include um, schools that we went to and mm-hmm. stuff, so everybody's responsible for their own alma mater. So it, it, it does talk to uh, the kind of social things we are trying to do. We, as a word of caution, we do not accept incoming um, inquiries. <laughs> inquiries. We only, we, we do our research and we go out and selectively pick what we want to do. We've been speaking with Art Sandberg of Pequot Capital and the Sandberg Family Foundation. If you enjoy these conversations, be sure and check out the rest of our chat. You can find that on Bloomberg.com, SoundCloud, and Apple iTunes. Check out my column on Bloomberg View. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Ritholtz. I'm Barry Ritholtz. You've been listening to Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. Okay, welcome back to the podcast half. Now I don't have to worry about time. That, By the way, that's really annoying having, Worrying like, I time. have three minutes, one minute, 30 seconds. It's always in the back right, of my right, head. Right, 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 right. It's such a distraction. So a couple of things I didn't get to during the broadcast portion. Let, let's take up some some loose uh, questions, and then we'll we'll focus on some of my favorite questions to ask during the segment. So I see a name like Pequot, which is an Indian tribe, obviously. How did you come up with the name Pequot Capital for the hedge fund? Well, if, in, in hindsight, I wish I hadn't because- oh, really? uh, yeah, It's well, very distinctive. It stands out. Oh, it, that was, and it was alliterative, Pequot Partners. It, mm-hmm. it, it's 
sounded good. It felt good. Um, I had no idea the Pequot Indians were going to get a gaming license. And I remember getting letters from European investors about eight, 10 years into the life of the fund saying, are you affiliated with that gambling tribe? Um, no, I was at 354 Pequot Avenue in Southport, <laughs> That's how Connecticut. the name came out. And it sounded alliterative. It meant nothing. I didn't want anything that suggested, you know. Did you predate the casinos? And oh, all yeah. That sort of oh, stuff? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. they didn't come after you, did they? They, they? they called me, and I said, well, just check the incorporation papers. It was 354 Pequot Avenue. And that was it? That was it. And it worked. So now, <laughs> you know, Hawks, which is my family office, I uh-huh. live on a street by the name of Hawks. Um, Acadia Woods, our, our family venture fund. We live on Acadia Woods Road in uh, Northport, Michigan, um, which uh, is where I spend my summers. So so you're you're in New York three quarters of the year, and yeah. or half the year, and you're there about a quarter, a quarter of the time in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. So you're there just over the summer. What yeah, are, over the summer. What are the summers like spot. in Michigan? Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. We we live down the beach from Mario Batali, mm-hmm. um, who is a big champion of that area. Um, oh, really? New Yorkers don't the know Italian it. tour. Is that you know, the, uh, it, it, it ends up in Northport, Michigan, which is on the tip of a peninsula jutting into Lake Michigan. It's a beautiful, uh-huh. beautiful area. Um, if you're in if you're a New Yorker, you go to the Hamptons. Ex- right. Except if you're me. You go to Michigan. It's bizarre. Mario Batali, the chef, yes. or the okay, yes. yes. So, but he's not from the. Is he from that part of? No, the, but his his wife went to University of Michigan and was friendly with go. with a gal who grew up on that peninsula. And that's and that's where you are, right? Over, uh, June, Over July, yeah. and August. And because I do venture capital now, and I don't, you know, have to be, I don't have to have morning meetings. I don't have to. I don't, all of the paraphernalia about running a fund, um, I can do everything, you know, electronically and right. take plane trips to where I have to go. How often are you on the West Coast, California? Uh, about six, seven, eight times a year. So we were just in the beginning of this year. I was in Seattle for a week, actually. Um, a CFA event. I interviewed Howard Marks mm-hmm. at at um, in Seattle, and then we spent a week in Seattle. Seattle is on fire. It's absolutely a city booming. And we just got back a few months ago from a week in San Francisco. It was a conference in Napa, and then a week in San Francisco. San Francisco is on fire. It's just- San Francisco has been on fire ever since I got out of school in '62. <laughs> well, it waxes and wanes, but yeah, you know, well- post financial crisis, it was a little tamped down for a year or two and it's just been booming for, for sure it, cyclicality is part of part of the human condition so so how do you but it's also true in denver we have a I, I, we started up a, a real estate development firm in denver denver is another example. also booming booming how much of that is related to the legal marijuana in Denver, and how much of it is? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the best investment um, has not been art, has not been, it, it has been buying up old warehouses in Denver. For, because for gross that's where they that's where they store the, the marijuana. We or didn't grow do it. it. They grow it there also in uh, these warehouses. No, they need, they need, they, they, they have big warehouses, but they're big new, and they need electricity, and they need, they need uh-huh. artificial light. But just the crummy old hundred year old small warehouse. Just a store. Just a store. Bales. Of, I missed of it. Meat. I missed that play. Oh really? Yeah. But I know it's true. So you're doing a lot of venture capital work. Yes. How do you deal with the supposed valuation issues these days 
all these billion dollar unicorns? Where, where do you I, focus? I, I, I hope that I uh, get into a unicorn early. Um, early. <laughs> <laughs> so, what sort of stuff do you like to to look at uh, as a as a VC? Yeah, it's it's consistent with with my background. My my uh, older son, who I I work with, uh, ran uh, business strategy at PeopleSoft. Mm -hmm. He knows software far better than I do. Um, I'm better at the uh, you know the physical sciences. Um, we're involved with the fusion company that I really can't talk much about, but people should 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 read read the newspapers and uh, fusion in terms of of energy uh, generation uh, yes, or yes thorium. Yes. I hope no. Why don't we have thorium reactors? You have a physics uh, background because we have, we have we have a better approach. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because thorium is supposedly yeah. And now my physics is thirty years rusty, yeah. but supposedly. Better than uranium, better than plutonium, yeah. no waste issues. Well, plutonium is, is highly radioactive. Yes. I, I can't remember how radioactive thorium is. I looked at it a Less. while ago. Well, what we're trying to do is uh, fuse uh, hydrogen and boron, and I won't bore everybody, but that, that results in three helium atoms uh -huh. and energy, and it's completely, not completely, but largely aneutronic. Right. And you can Meaning actually- no, no high no, particle- No neutrons. No high energy particles leaving. Correct. And, and therefore, um, you can build a commercial reactor. Unlike- What's the waste product like? Uh, there's very little waste. Really? So you're not left with- There is waste, and we've got to take care of it. Is it, it's not is it, a, is it radioactive waste? No, or is it, no, 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 no. So it's non-radioactive no, 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 non waste product out of a Correct. fusion. And it's a major, so, major project. And You said you're trying to change the world. You're really that, trying no, to change No, no, I am trying to change the world. Plus, I, we, we're invested in a, uh, in a solar company that uh, uses- um, 3D Bristol's and, mm -hmm. and it's a major breakthrough, uh, and we're going through the last phases of We've proving seen out the technology on solar. I just had this conversation with someone not too long ago. On solar, all of the gains that we've seen have been so agonizingly over 30 years. It's a substantial yeah. series, but they've been really incremental yeah. and evolutionary. Yeah, this is not. You're talking about a revolutionary change. I'm talking change. about when I first met these guys, they, they were growing 3 million nano, um, uh, nickel nanofibers on a substrate per square inch. Three so you're not doing inch. a flat panel. You're this doing a three-dimensional panel. This is a three-dimensional panel where the photons come in and spiral down the bristles. So you're capturing a lot more of the energy three that times, hits. Three times. Triple. The, so the this photons, is an order of magnitude breakthrough. Fa photons stay in the structure three times as long as if they were to just reflect off of a plane right. surface. Um, so they stay in, and the and the efficiency goes up. It's hard to do, but right. we're almost there. How and much more expensive are these panels than uh, traditional solar? To produce. We're, 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 we're now making them on glass panels. Uh, I'll give you the answer to that in the first quarter next year. All right. But and none but of these are open outside efficiency. investors. This is your- No, this is, this is you know, I don't believe in sharing. This is risk. Um, yeah. Um, but- um, Ailey, the work- People should just stay tuned and-, and Some really interesting things coming really along. Some really interesting things coming along. And that's- Two of a number of others. So we do software companies. Um, when you when you were running Pequot, there was a lot of oil, energy, mm -hmm. natural gas mm -hmm. leases, things like that. Mm -hmm. So energy has been an ish, an interest of yours, totally for a long time. Yeah, I had I had a bunch of sector funds as I mentioned, but they were in telecom, they were in technology, they were in healthcare, small cap investing. The one exception was uh, early on was in energy. Mm -hmm. um, because I went, you know, if you if you lived in the seventies, you went through the oil embargo. Sure, um, I remember as a kid trying to get a gas can filled up to mow the lawn. Right, and I would get the question, 
you know, what what is your license plate, even or odd? Right. right. And I, I'm 11 <laughs> I and drive. I have a gas can. Right. Well, I don't have a, a license. So, all right, give him a gas. Well, no, plus, we, they should have let, let the grass grow and give it to me. I mean, I was the adult with little kids. I mean, right. I needed it. I had to mow that. Hey, listen, I had to earn a living. I was out mowing lawns. Uh, <laughs> I used to mow lawns. So, I so, used to deliver papers. Same here. <laughs> I hated delivering papers. It was a terrible, terrible. Job. I my I was uh, so I had I had a bunch of friends and uh, two two of them had routes. The one the one key guy who I bought a route with uh, ended up being a sheet metal worker. He uh-huh. he took uh, a fifty paper route which we split in half twenty five twenty five and he got it up to a hundred. 100 customers, mine dwindled down to 10. Because I would sit on the curb and read the newspaper first. Right. And he just took the papers and delivered them. So, you know. Uh, the best part about delivering newspapers was Sunday morning, me and a few friends who all had routes right. would go to the diner and have breakfast at 9 o'clock. There you go. That, that was the highlight. I didn't do that. That maybe was, that, uh, maybe that was would the have best, been successful. That was the best that. part of it. Um, so it sounds energy is really interesting. Energy is really interesting. There's what? That it, 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 you know, it is my belief that, you know, in 30 years, all the oil producing countries in the world will be bankrupt. Meaningless. Um, meaningless basically back to back, back, managing back their back sand. Back to sitting on a bunch of sand and right. rocks. Um, you know, I, I hope to I hope to help. You want to accelerate I that process. I want to accelerate that process. Outside not of- just, not, not because I have anything against them. It's just that it's absurd that no, we're burning fossil fuels. They're burning fossil fuels. They're not really sharing the wealth with the people of their country. When you look at all the problems we've had in the Middle East, I can't help but think if there wasn't oil there and we weren't so dependent on it, People wouldn't really care. We wouldn't that, have had that, various. That could wars. be true. I come at it just from a pure, you know, how can I solve? How can I help solve the world's problem? Which is making energy plentiful and cheap goes a long there's way. There's no doubt. I mean, you know, I don't even want to get involved in the climate debate. Um, I, I, I am on what the debate. What debate about? You know, is is is, is carbon um, human generated or is it? Uh, Whenever and I hear that, this yeah. just came up at a dinner the other day. I always tell people if you don't think you can affect your environment, park your car in your garage, yeah. leave the engine running, shut the door, and spend an hour or two See, there. I'd rather spend my time figuring out how to solve the problem rather than debate the issue. I don't and want to I debate it either. I, I mean, just I, say park in the car with park in the garage true. with the engine running and we'll see how little you can affect that, your environment. There 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 that is an argument. Um but I don't get involved in stuff like that. I get involved in what, what is the problem? What is the solution? Can I affect the solution in a positive way? And so that's an engineering approach. Yeah, I so yeah, what can't other get away from it? What other issues lend themselves to an engineering solution that you can do venture investing with? Um, I don't know if it's a problem or what, but um, we 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 bought up the. Uh, um, we bought up all the patents from uh, AT and T uh, in uh, holographics. Um, really? So yeah, storage. You know, data storage is growing forty percent a year, mm-hmm. um, and will continue to grow at those kind of absurd rates for quite some time. Um, and um, so I'm involved in, in in some flash memory companies. I'm involved in uh, uh, some new algorithms to to. To, to try and make servers much more efficient. I, and I don't want to name names. So but, there's a hardware approach and a software approach yes, to, to solve with, that issue. And, I'm, and we're involved in both. And, and, and what you really need is you need uh, vast amounts of data um, on um, warm what's called warm storage. Uh, storage, what is, storage. What is warm storage? So, you know, hot storage is uh, our disk drives mm-hmm. um, and to some degree uh, flash memory. 
and uh, cold storage are tapes, which are, you know, they just run sequentially. It's not random access. It's uh, ancient technology or it's it's ancient, but it's, you know, on a cost effective basis, it still makes sense. But you, you really want something that was that is nearer than tape, um, which which will burn out in five to 10 years, right. can have a longer storage life. Um, I mean, our government goes out and, and has all these drones that are taking pictures of all kinds of stuff, right. God knows what. Um, and they can't even, they can't analyze half of it because they uh, there's no way to process it all. So much of it. And also, as you get into genomics and other things, we, we are just spitting out data. So if you could use holographic memories, which would last for, for 50 years, um, uh, and, uh, and down to the right price points, um, at any rate, so we're trying to develop that. Um, Interesting. That technology. is not that is not an area where you can go out and talk to a venture capitalist and get them to you know go alongside you. Mm-hmm. Um, just won't do it because it's uh, th- that area has been um, death to many many startups. For my for 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 our family purposes, we can take that risk. Um, right. It might take a little longer. We can take that risk. So we're trying to solve that problem. We're involved in in medical devices and and some. Uh, some medical, uh, um, some interesting companies. You were on the area. board of a geno- New York genomics um, center. center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before we get to that, because that's an area I find absolutely fascinating and would love to talk about, you're buying these patents up from AT&T. Well, we bought them up. Uh, so well, bought- it wasn't from AT&T. There, was a vent- there were two venture groups that, that did that. Uh, what they, year did these patents come? Well, out? these are they, they, these these were done in the nineties, and um, there Aren't were some they expired gu- at this point, or are there enough? No, because you keep refreshing them. There's enough. I mean, we uh, keep improving the basic um, right stuff. Um, so we own all the patents, all the patents. We 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 have two hundred and fifty patents uh, covering both the way you store it and the media you need to uh, mm-hmm. produce it, um, and. Uh, Two venture firms uh, try poured a hundred million dollars into trying to develop this, um, and they Didn't went get bankrupt. Right. And we bought we bought the asset out so of bankruptcy court. We bought hopefully this is a value play, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you were to if you well, were anything to combine, you buy out of bankruptcy is cheap. usually well. There's another one that we're involved with, which we did help somebody buy out of bankruptcy, which is clear, which is uh, at the airports. If what you, is what is clear? Clear is the a a biometric screening so, technique at airports to, uh-huh. and now they're starting to be in court. The Yankees just um, uh, started using it. The San Francisco uh, at the stadium. At the stadium. So when I, I assume that everybody else, although they don't, I assume everybody uses TSA pre so they can whisk through the airport. Yeah. And then when you come back, there's global entry. Yeah. Will you bypass all the customs I and have you? That beautiful right yeah. so you you take your passport and right. then you take your hands right. and you put that on a machine and you're done in 30 seconds right what does clear do relative to that sort of clear does the same thing um but Bi- biometric biometric and it checks it against the giant database to make sure you're not a that terrorist you are or who uh, you claim you are uh-huh yeah and so the yankees are using this and the san francisco giants are using this yep and uh increasingly airports are using it it's it's a company that went bankrupt, uh-huh. um, bought out of bankruptcy. Good technology, but Good bad technology. business model and, and totally bad, bad execution. That that was, in some ways, a value play. Uh-huh. But um, 
but but a value play based around superior technology with a bad go-to-market implementation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're involved in that. Um, we're we're involved really, in tons of things. These are really fascinating. I love it. Venture stuff. What what other areas intrigue you from a venture perspective? Um, so there's alternative energy. There's software. There's uh, one company up in Boston uh, that we're involved with that. Uh, um, uh, gotta be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching the wheel spin and yeah, fig- watching well, you try and figure out what you can and can't say. Yeah, exactly. What what subject does the technology cover? We'll the, 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 the problem that companies like Hewlett Packard or Samsung or, or a bunch of them have is that the the real money in in smartphones and and devices these days are in the apps. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are two app platforms. One, of course, is 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 uh, Apple's. IOS, mm-hmm. um, IS, uh, iOS, and, right? iOS, and and the other is um, you know the Android system. Mm-hmm. Um, so if Hewlett were to come out with a new product and not support those apps, um, you're giving up would, half the market. People you... won't buy it. So right. some some products have been introduced that are technically wonderful products, but they don't service the market as it is configured today. Mm-hmm. If you if you were able to um, if you were able to uh, solve that problem for manufacturers, um, uh, Appify and, their software yeah, or Appify their their program. Basically, and and you can emulate, you can emulate those things. But when you emulate, you have another microprocessor. Right. It's slow. It's inefficient. It just isn't competitive. If you can do it in what's called native mode using the application control layer, um, you can. Uh, uh, I'm looking you, to see you, if the word Appify is taken because I want to. I, <laughs> I, I think that's a word that I I, I want to. You know, trade it's all with. it's all yours. So Appa- at any rate, there's a company up in Boston that has done that. Um, Samsung is uh, incorporating its uh, in its Tizen Z1 phone, which it introduced in India, and uh, the future looks pretty bright. So there are software applications that are that are that are interesting because they solve problems. They solve problems. Yeah, I like solving problems. So what else? Um, oh, I see why I keep speaking of problems. I keep searching for this, and I keep coming up with an Amazon Appify. Create the simplest Mac possible Mac from a shell. So somebody else already has the uh, sorry the word <laughs> Appify. Sorry. And then there's Appify Android apps on Google Play, uh, at Appify on Twitter. So all right, I thought it was a good. Uh, ours, ours, ours has a different name. I won't even mention it. Okay, um, don't mention the name. There's but a, there's, there's so another... you don't want to run an emulation because you're adding a whole other layer of software. It slows totally. it down. It slows it, makes it, it down, more com- more, more buggy, more complicated. Totally. Totally. So, but you make so it if native. You can do it if you can do it off of the application control layer. You, you, it's completely legit, and mm-hmm. it's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to do. So, um, this is a software solution to a programming problem. Correct. Yeah. All right. What other yeah. areas intrigue you well, in terms of ventures? A couple of bright young guys out of MIT who have who have come up with an active shock absorber system. One active called, shock absorber. Yeah. The the, ne- for the next for cars or for bicycles or for cars. Cars, mm-hmm. cars, and maybe truck cabs, but um, right. but right now the the emphasis is on cars, um, and it's it's truly you know so the the trick there is to get it to a low enough cost right. that you can put it in automobiles. There are many there 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 are systems today which use uh, hydraulic fluids and the, the well they the use they use hy- fluids. Hy- hydraulic yeah that, that's that pretty too. old school the, the it's hydraulic old school stuff. and it's very expensive for a wheel right. if you can get it down with a simple system 
um, so that it would, you know, sell for under two thousand dollars per automobile. Right. Um, there's a vast market, and uh, these, these guys, these huge. guys, I think have the solution to that. So, so I, I'm on the really? board of that one. Yeah. Oh, that's um, interesting. So there's, you know, there's great stuff out there. So I am not one of these people who believes, oh my God, the world has a million problems. Let's stick our head in the ground and let's. It does stop have growing. a million problems, but it's got two million solutions. There, that, that is my belief. We go to this venture. It's really early stage, an angel conference in mm -hmm. San Diego. I can't go every year, or my head explodes. I go every other year, or so, <laughs> and you cannot come out of, and it's college kids and so. Oh yeah. You cannot go through an event like that. Well, they've told not... me they've told me up at MIT that um, that in the a generation or two ago, probably two, uh, the average age of an MIT graduate who started a company was was forty two years old. And now twenty seven. Yeah, I find you can't go to one of those events and leave and not be optimistic about the future. No matter how terrible things are, it's like. We're pikers. These kids are going to solve all these I, issues. That is that. That is what keeps me going. It, it's amazing. That belief is what keeps me I, going. I was at. I think I've told the story before. I was at a wedding in Virginia, or maybe it was a bar mitzvah. It was a, a family member, and the was it the no no it was a wedding because it was the grooms, uh, the groomsmen, mm -hmm. couple of kids out of I think it was UVA mm -hmm. um, down in Richmond, and. Uh, they one of them had an iPhone case mm -hmm. that had built into it. This sounds idiotic, but it was genius. Had built into it a bottle opener, like a beer, <laughs> right? Built into the thing a so you take your phone <laughs> and and just pop a bottle. Yeah. And I said, "Oh, that's hilarious! You know how are you guys going to make that?" And they look at me like I have two heads. Right? Dude, we're doing twenty thousand units a month. We have this manufactured <laughs> in China. These guys are twenty. They're in yeah. college. Yeah. Wait, Wonderful. you're selling twenty thousand units? What are you charging for this? $14? What does it cost you? I don't know, 87 cents. The <laughs> yeah. shipping is more. Uh, so when you see kids like that in college who are so yep. invent I don't I don't understand the the consistent pessimism from people no, I don't either. about the world is terrible, America is terrible. No, well, you you meet some of these kids, it changes your perspective. They're, they're the people who can't really relate to this kind of stuff, really don't like it and therefore draw their own conclusions. They're not based on Anything factual. I mean, the the, the problem the problem with all of this, of course, is the is the income divide between the people who can do what you just described and the people I've been describing. Um, and and in the terms rest of, of who the you're world. trying to help in in terms yeah, of scholarships, yeah, I mean, there there or? is there is a huge there is a huge problem developing. Um, well, in uh, terms of that, in terms of income inequality or in terms of opportunity inequality maybe that's an interesting. Um, well, there, to... there, it's both. Um, some people will never be able to participate in this new world. Um, given because all the advantages, they just not tech savvy. I, you know, they lack the skill set for that, or yeah. the interest, or they might have the interest, but they're not going to be able to implement. And and I, you know, I believe that everybody should give them a, be given a chance to. So I, I I will spend as much money as I can to 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 try and help that. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, I, you know, there are a lot of people in this world, and not everybody can. Can sure. start these things. So you know, the, 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 there are real social policy issues about how do how do you fix that? I'm not a social scientist, so mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, but I don't. I, 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 one of the reasons that that we have uh, emphasized things like fusion energy, solar, 
um, things like that are uh, because they, they save the they, they address the basic problem, which is that unless you have cheap electricity or a number of other things, you don't grow world income. And if you don't grow world income, everybody fights over the pie. And if everybody fights over the pie, you're going to have a terrible a terrible world system. Um, so I want to help people grow the pie. Uh, I, w- I would like to help in some of this carbon stuff if I can. Um, I'd like to give part of the money back. I'd like to keep some of it um, to, uh, to to give everybody the opportunity to participate in that. It is then up to government to figure out the rest of it. And I see absolutely no movement towards coming up with any logical solutions to that. Well, Be- but that's along the government discussion. That's easy. That's a long arc. And eventually government- It's not easy. It, well, what I mean by easy is over the next 10 or 20 years, my guess is that government incompetency, especially partisan incompetency, collapses under its own weight and eventually- What? Eventually we're replaced with- I, I don't think the Republican and the Democratic Party are infinite in lifespan and, and here forever. Mm-hmm. I think these parties are slowly losing- uh, slowly losing um, membership and you're going to end up with more and more people as independents. And that's how you end up with somebody like a Donald Trump who really are hard to define by traditional party politics. Not, not a coincidence that what's going on today in the Republican party, the appeal is the guy who's the least associated with with the party and the same thing is happening on the democratic side mm-hmm. the bernie sanders is not a traditional democrat sure. and suddenly there's all this so you have trump and sanders the appeal isn't what their specific politics are the appeal is that they're not traditional partisan players I agree, and I agree with your conclusion. So but I hope I hope you, it happens as you go through that process of fragmenting the two. It's very painful. Yeah, that that's gonna. So now let me let's talk a little politics, and and let me force you to stop dancing around the carbon issue. No, you'll never be, you'll never be able to force me to stop. Uh, so around. global warming, well, real? Uh, I have no idea. Get out of here. Come on. No how idea. could you say I'm, that? You're I'm, a physicist. You're investing in fusion no, I'm not energy. A I used to be an aeronaut. You're an engineer. Here. You have a ton of physics. You understand the scientific process. You know when 98% of, of scientists say something. You you don't think that global warming is, is a the, the, genuine. Glo- of let's course call it I climate do. change. I, I think the fact that there's so much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is a really, really bad thing. How did it get there? How did it get there? Sunspots? I don't know. Cows? Volcanoes? I don't know. Burning carbon products? Probably. Okay. All right, so you've- But I don't know if it's solely because of that. Well, no, nothing is solely because of anything. I I, I have friends who are on either side of this one, and I read it all, and I I sit on this MIT Energy Initiative board. Right. Um, At MIT, they have this guy, Richard Lindzen, who is a world-acclaimed climate Mm -hmm. scientist who doesn't believe it. Um, Right. There are many others, like Hanson, who do. Tell him to park his car in the garage. See what happens. He's a a very responsible guy. Yeah. Um, and they're responsible people on the other side. I don't know. I mean, there are plenty of people arguing that you know that that matter. All I know is I think that I can support you some can guys who have a solution to it. Right. I'd rather waste my brain cycles and energy and money on that rather than dis- discussing that. it. The debate, the argument is just wasting energy anyway. 
You're never going to, people aren't going to convince each other. By no, the way, no. when I say it's I religion. think. It's like a religion. When I say I think that burning carbon and eating red meat, for that matter, contribute to global warming, I'm not saying that you shouldn't burn carbon and you shouldn't eat red meat. I have too many cars and boats. I eat lots of red meat. So I'm not. You're a wreck. I'm not. Le no, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm not lecturing people, hey, change your life. But I think it's hypocritical for people who know better to say, oh, just because we have a coal company and we fund science, research that says this yeah. has no impact, I'm not, I, I object to the hypocr hypocrisy of that. I'm not telling people change your life. Hey, you're affecting the world. Let's accept it and move on. I like your solution, which is to try and come up with a solution rather than digress into the debate. It's, too, it's all too complicated. And you're never, as, as you said, you will never change people's minds right. about this because it's become a religious fight, not... You know, We're and, the only and country do you in the know world, that five, the five million people a year die from burning wood? I mean, so what do you mean in terms of um, the impact worldwide. on lungs, or yeah, effect on or, lungs, or what we see every winter where people take a kerosene heater and the fumes? You know, that, I joke about the garage, but, but, but burning stuff re releases all sorts of noxious fumes. Oh, that's, it's horrific! That's it's horrific, and yeah. so you know. Um, the, the people who believe that you, you should, you know, like, like, so the Union of Concerned Scientists, which mm -hmm. was born about 30 years ago in opposition. Mostly about nuclear weapons, in, right? In, well, in op opposition to nuclear weapons, but also, you know, nuclear power plants because mm -hmm. they were sort of, you know. Hand in hand. Hand in hand. Um, they just about two months ago reversed their position and said, you know, nu nuclear energy uh, is the solution because there's no... There's no carbon dioxide. So, right. you know, if you live long enough, you watch all these convoluted everything things. Comes everything comes around. Um, and, uh, y you know, it depends on what the priority is and what the new religious ze zeal is. Mm -hmm. um, so advanced nuclear is, 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 is legitimately back on the table. Thank and, God. And much lower um radioactive uh waste product than no the that's days. the traditional old way of doing it um yeah. and 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 so we actually another company we, we helped get started uh is in nuclear remediation it's called curion k-u-r-i-o-n and what do they do they uh they 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 try and vitrify the um the uh, waste product from nuclear fission plants and what does that do um, Lowers that the enables you to, to bury it and store it. We're not all the way there yet, but in the process, we, 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 we uh, developed a media that will enable you to take cesium out of water. Mm -hmm. And um, that Poly was a radioactive, huge, very negative. Uh, and, and became a huge problem in Fukushima. Um, right. Uh, so we, as a small startup company, were the only ones who were able to get into Fukushima and, and help. Oh, them. really? And so something that was going to be like, you know, growing very slowly at first, just. Grew in size. So and we've added other capabilities, and uh, it's fascinating. So Curium, like with a K, like Madam Curie? K-U-R-I-O-N. Oh, Curion. Curion. And so this removes radioactive cesium from water yes. in order to uh, clean That's up That's the big a, a problem nuclear... in Japan right now. It's right. not that people are dying and all that kind of no, stuff. No, but you you have potentially but dangerous water working correct. its way into groundwater. And you can't water. put it back into the And you can't right. stop it. No. Water finds its but, own level, and it's really a problem. But, but we, you know, we have been helping them fix that problem. And this company is removing radioactive cesium from water in mm -hmm. Japan today. Yes, today, and has been for three years now. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. And it was a startup. It was met them, you know, three people back in the uh, '09. And so, now, what's going on there? That's now? a good question. Um, 
<laughs> You're an investor in this company? Yes. And how how is it growing? Is it is Oh it yeah. Focusing oh, on it's this? a home run. Home run. What's the exit strategy for a company like that? Um that's a good question. I'll tell you the next time we talk. Okay. Well, we'll 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 have to we'll have to revisit that. Uh, any other VC stuff that's interesting before we move on nah, to I'm some probably, other I'm stuff? Probably, I probably have You've said before, too much. I've said too much, and I've probably caused too many eyes to glaze over. All right. No, no. I Well, I can't tell you about other eyes, but i glazing over. But I find this sort of stuff. Oh, I love this stuff. Fascinating. Yeah. There's a show on the Science Channel. So my background was applied mathematics and physics ah. until my senior year in college, and I figured out that if I switch to poli-sci and philosophy, I can drink beer and chase girls and not have double labs for three times a week. And so I have my, enough physics and math to be dangerous to myself. My, my, my best friend uh, as an undergraduate is a brilliant guy who ended up being chairman of the biomedical engineering department at Hopkins for mm -hmm. 17 years, world-renowned. Uh, and he helped me get through. He truly helped me get through. Uh, and whenever I would say, I was really a very mediocre student at MIT, he'd say, <laughs> oh, no, but when, you know, later on when you started taking religion and political science, you, you, can you, help you, me. you really, you really knocked the... The, the ball out of the park and i said Murray, i don't think i don't think that's what mit is all about but, um, <laughs> comparative but, religious studies at mit not a not no a, it was a great it was a great houston smith was a professor right. he was he was world renowned i mean right. no, they, the mit's got great, great for sure but you know but that was not but it was it was you know but 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 i learned so much from going there about Applying yourself, overcoming obstacles. Mm -hmm. um, it's not an easy place. but No, it's, no, uh, it's a very competitive place. Very competitive, which I think is a great preparation for life. To, to say the least. I, what I was going to um, mention, there's a show on the Science Channel called How the Universe Works. Mm -hmm. And essentially, it's really complex astrophysics right. with great digital graphics. So. Yeah. I don't know if that's what the inside of a neutron star looks like, but okay, that's close enough. It's a little more scientific than no, industrial light and magic shows you on Star Wars. You know, <laughs> right, it's right, uh, right, right, that right, stuff right. is is fascinating. So, speaking of of saying too much, let's talk a little bit about um, the SEC. And I know this is a uh, an area I want to tread lightly. Let me <laughs> let me bring up a, another guest. I had Mark Cuban on mm -hmm. some time ago. Person and, I know well. Uh, well, let's 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 talk about that a little bit. But Mark went off on an absolute jihad about the SEC, and he talked about how they're mis misfocused, misguided, unfair. He went off, and after the conversation, was like, "Are you sure you want to say this?" He's like, "No, we just won in court. We're done with them. They they you know they had to put their tail in between their legs and walk away." Um, you had a not especially pleasant experience with the SEC. Uh, what do you think about what Mark well, had to say? Um, I know Mark. Um, before Mark made his first fortune, uh, we worked together on a private investment I made. Um, he's a very smart guy. He's obviously a very outspoken guy, very colorful guy. Um, he was managing his own personal money. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't have the responsibility of uh, managing money for you know, for fiduciaries and have a lot of employees and everything. So I obviously am going to approach this in a far different way. I right. did not. He has to be less circumspect than than you must, for sure. And um, I I I I did one of those settlement things with the SEC, neither admitting nor denying guilt. Mm -hmm. um, 
and uh, that was uh, that was that was after the case was reopened. People will so like nine of, years. Pre- it was like oh what two thousand. I think they walked in in oh three or oh four, and it didn't get resolved until oh nine. It was resolved once where they. Uh, they dropped it originally. They dropped it, and, and, and there was a congressional hearing, and they, they actually made their notes available, their their closing document, which is an internal thing, and I'm told by the lawyers it's the first time ever. And then it got reopened, and and, and it, it sort of got reopened right when Madoff happened. So you can you can so come everybody to your, was going crazy. You can go to you can come to your own conclusions as to you know what what what, what was going on. Um, the the case had to do with Microsoft, which is the most um, well widely known, well followed covered, sure. company in the world. Um, um, and uh, you know, there's really not much to say about it other than the, what I said at the time, which is um, this is too distracting. And that actually was a factual statement. It mm-hmm. was extremely distracting. There were many things I thought I could do in my life. I was 68 years old. To fight from that point on would have taken another three to five years. And so if I had won, who's going to give money to a hedge fund guy who's in his early 70s? Right. Um, it was just – it was a ludicrous battle to fight. Um, and, uh, and, and and I thought a hell of a lot – more interesting things to do with my life, and it sounds like you certainly have been focusing on a lot. I'm very more happy about the decision I made. It, it's nothing you like to go to your grave with, you know, um, mm-hmm. and have your grandkids Google um, and find out, you know, um, about. But um, it, I, I, I was convinced at the time it was the right decision, and I'm convinced. And you're still today. convinced, totally. And it sounds like you have not. Um, lost a step in terms of what you're focusing on after that. Success in life is just keep moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. I, like I, like I, a shark. You, if you stop swimming, it's uh... – Well, I, 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 I climbed uh, – for my 59th birthday, I climbed Kilimanjaro. And, oh, really? And, yeah, and the locals uh, have this expression, pole, which means slow. Right. Slow, slow, slow. Slow and just steady. one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward. How and high is Kilimanjaro? 19,340 feet. But so, who's counting? So you're still, in the upper upper reaches of that, there's still elevation sickness oh, and God. terrible wind, oh, yeah. weather. Oh, yeah. I, I know Everest is 26-something. I, I could never do that. But that's, that's a, supposed that's to be- That's a technical climb. Pe- right. People supposedly the last 5,000 feet of that are are hallucinating yeah, and all miserable. sorts of terrible things. Yeah, no, I didn't want to be miserable, but I this this was this was not quite miserable, but strange. How long did it take to to this is news to me by the way. This doesn't show up in any of our research yeah, about you. <laughs> um how long did it take to get to the top of Kilimanjaro? How long did it take uh, to prep there for that? There are well we prepped for 6 months, but Really? Yeah. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, it wasn't strenuous prepping, but it was prepping. <laughs> um but there, there are two ways to go. You can go, and I've forgotten the names of the trails. You can go straight up the spine of the mountain, right? Where you can loop around. You can, yeah. Cycle Which way did you go? The the, the latter because the at fifty nine, I wanted to acclimate as slowly as possible. How long did it take to get to the top? Three days. Three days, yeah. and then back down. Well, that's the interesting thing. The the last day you wake up at ten eleven at night. I can't remember exactly when because you want to walk up the glacial moraine while it's frozen, right? So you don't slide back. You get to the peak at 6.30 in the morning when the sun's Coming rising. Up. It's a spectacular view. Then you go back down to the camp that you You just uh, toboggan straight down? or well, it's, you, you have a hard time lifting your legs at this point. Oh, really? I mean, the quads are just aching. You're exhausted. Um, and uh, so you stop at 15,000 feet where you were the night before. You sleep for two hours, and then you go down to 
12 or 10, I can't remember. Just to acclimate the pressure difference and, on and, the way down. And to get it all over with. Okay. <laughs> um, and and uh, it's a it's an exhilaration to, really? to believe you can do that. The, the... You know, you're looking down on the clouds. It's... Uh, you know, but being being a hedge fund guy, I of course had my satellite phone, and at the top of the mountain, I had to call in to get quotes. You were trading from the top of Mount well, Kilimanjaro. I, I, no, I, 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 didn't, I didn't trust my judgment enough, but I, right. You know, but I certainly wanted to be in touch. Well, you had enough of your wits about you to know that you were not to be trust trusted. I had a friend who once went to Africa uh, for two weeks, came back, and the crash of '87 had occurred, mm -hmm. and he knew nothing about it during the whole time. Really, and that that memory stayed with me. It's like wow. you cannot you cannot do what I do and be. Removed from the world for that. He missed the he 1987. Missed the whole thing. Uh, you know, my one of my favorite 87 stories is David Rosenberg's first day of work. Mm -hmm. He had been a government economist, and he went to work for not Merrill Lynch. It was the job before that. His first day in the job mm -hmm. was nine was the Black Monday. Is that right? Yeah, that was his first day. You guys talk about baptism by fire. That is baptism. So this guy's running a hedge fund. He goes to Africa in. He, he in, didn't have a hedge fund. He, he He's running right. money. But he was running money. He, yeah. he goes in October, yeah. and he comes back, and what the hell happened? And he calls from the airport in Nairobi, and they tell him and where the markets are, and he says, don't, don't joke with me. Right. <laughs> this is too serious to <laughs> and they say, we're not We're not kidding you. This is where things are. Yeah. The flash crash in 2010, I took off from, I think it was Dallas, at mm -hmm. like 9 in the morning, New York time, and this was- there was no Wi-Fi on the flight because it was a short flight. And I land in, uh, maybe it was Chicago, and I land in, in uh, LaGuardia, and it was, what the hell happened? It was, wait, we're down 1,000 points, and now we're only down yeah. a few hundred. What, yeah. what? Like, I'm like, something's wrong with, I called somebody. Something's wrong with my phone. It's showing, no, you don't understand. It was 2.30 to 3. Crazy. Uh, ju just absolutely insane. All right, so let's um, let's get to some of my favorite questions because uh -oh. I know you, um, you have to... Yeah, have other places to go. Reaching hours approaching. Uh, that's right. Um, so, who are your early mentors? Who who really uh, put the love of investing and and both technology venture investing and and asset management into you? Um, good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're talking ancient history now. Um, still, I got. I got. It's lucky. still valid. I got out of Columbia and uh, interviewed around, and I interviewed at Kidder. So, which you mentioned was the first job. There was a guy at Kidder at the time, Tom Folger, who was an MIT grad, mm -hmm. um, uh, who was director of research. Uh, he had hired about six months earlier a guy named Bob Johnson to follow computers, MIT Harvard Business School, right? Uh, and he hired me, and we formed the first sort of group. Group. Um, it was unheard of back in 67, 68, 69. Um, and that, that, that was a kick. So, you know, if I had gotten you know, recruited to follow the energy industry, I probably would have become a deep value energy buyer or something. Right. I don't know. But I got in with these guys who, who, who had a similar mindset, a similar approach. Um, uh, and so I would say that, that that influenced me. And then I, uh, I've i always worked for a smaller firm. You, 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 you are what you are. So, mm -hmm. you know, my first job out of college was Lockheed, which- Not exactly a small firm. Not exactly a small firm. Then, then, then I go down to Wall Street uh, and I joined Kidder, which was a substantial firm at that time. And Kidder um, eventually became, uh, they Kidder, Dane Weber or Dean Witter? No, no, no. Didn't, didn't GE buy it? I don't remember. I think GE bought it and then okay. sold it. Um, but it disappeared. It was a great firm, but mm -hmm. it disappeared. Um, I went from Kidder, 
uh, to a small a small firm by the name of Lombard, Vitalis, Pagaducci, and Nelson, which is, doesn't appear in any of the bio stuff any longer. It was there for, for all of one year. And then Weiss, Peck, and Greer was starting up. Oh, sure. It was a complete startup. That's a big, and, that's now a decent-sized firm, right? Uh, they, they, they sold out um, to a Dutch bank, but um, I was the first... I was the first hire after the partners opened the doors. Mm-hmm. Um, stayed there for 15 years, managed firm capital, had a pretty good record um, for five years, and went out and started the uh, fund. So the investing part of it was uh, you know, a combination of my first job and then the venture experience at Weiss Peck and managing money. And I learned a lot about money management and cycles and money management and I learned a lot, um, and I learned a lot by managing partners' capital. And anybody stand out at Weiss Peck as a uh, as well, a mentor? Well, my, my uh, I don't know if you'd say mentor, but but influence influence. So Byron Wing was oh sure, my, and and uh, Byron's been an investor in my or was an investor when I had funds mm-hmm. um, from the very beginning. We had offices next to each other. Um, I eventually came to work for Pequot as the chief strategist when he left uh, Morgan Stanley. He's now with course at Blackstone. Um, so Byron was one of them. There's unfortunately a fellow just passed away by the name of Mickey Strauss who uh, who I worked with there. So it was really more my colleagues than it was, uh, you know, and, and sometimes you learn as much from uh, colleagues as you do from For sure. uh, mentors. By- Byron was on the show. He's now in his early 80s. Early 80s. He still maintains he's a f- relentless travel schedule. schedule. Yeah, I, th- I think he's crazy. He flies to China all the time. He's yeah. all... Like, I know people my age and younger who are like, oh, I can't travel that much. He's on the road a week or two a month like he's 26 right out of school. Well, I don't think he's like 26 out of school, (laughs) but he's... um... But yeah, no, he's he's an amazing. He's a warrior. He's a warrior. He's, he's eighty something. He's a warrior. He's a warrior. And there's another guy who just loves what he does. He loves and what he does. Nothing's going to stop him. From and that. we're still very close. I'm going to ask about a book that I suspect you've read, and if you haven't, I'm going to recommend it. Okay. James Glick's The Information. Nope. But the history of information and theory and. And that put that right okay. on the top of your list. Okay. Because you read enough interesting eclectic stuff about both history and science. Mm-hmm. This he, He's a brilliant writer. He's done the book Chaos, about chaos theory. Yeah. That's him. And okay. this book is, he, this should have won the, the Pulitzer if it didn't. It may, may have. Mm-hmm. Just a brilliant, if, if you like that sort of stuff, no, I and do. I suspect I you do, do, I do. you're going you're gonna to find that that fascinating. So, so let's talk a little bit about what's changed during in the industry over the course of your career. What do you think, whether it's venture capital or traditional well, investing? Everything has changed. Everything. What's what's the I more mean, when significant I, when I, when change? I, you know, I came down to Wall Street in 67, uh, uh, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, there was the lost generation. Nobody came down to Wall Street in the 30s, 40s, 68 60s. to, to That's 82. That's when people is... started, you know, so is that luck or is that, I followed what 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 I thought my passion was. I I don't know. I mean, I guess there's an element of luck to it, but so I got there at the beginning of the cycle. Um, beginning of the bear market. It was also the beginning of the bear market. Yeah. So there was a bear market, as you know, from uh, 70, 71 to uh, eighty three, um, and uh, the the time period I like to use is the Dow kissed a thousand in nineteen sixty eight. Mm-hmm. It did not eclipse that in nineteen sixty six. Sixty six. Till eighty two. Yeah, 
So it was a full 16 yeah, years. and those are my formative years. So right. now, you know, you come in, the Fed keeps interest rates at zero, assets get inflated. But that has to go up, though, doesn't it? That Can has it stay to go at up, zero but, forever? But, but a lot of people come in and, and you know, one of my mentors, there was a mentor um, that I forgot to mention, but um, said, you know, had the expression, which others have had, don't confuse brains with the sure. market. Um, I really believe that. But, you know, so, um, but back then, um, you didn't, just come into the market and the you know the averages went up because the government decided they should go up or whatever's going on right now um, back then you had 15 years of nothing right and you had to survive and, and that's had, that's nominal in real inflation oh, adjusted it was, it was a big it, loser it was insane and inflation was high of course right so you know um, that that was my baptism mm-hmm. um, as it were. well what was it like in the early 70s what what it sucked <laughs> it sucked uh, that's that's an understatement. Obviously, the bond side was paying huge, yes, huge again nominal yields. Yes, but on the equity side, who was buying stocks? Uh, there weren't that many, but you know, and that was all I did. I mean, I you know, I I've never met a bond I like, um, right? Uh, which is not true, but um, Munis. but you could, you could put some money away. In Munis well, if and... I had been, you know, I knew the play. You know, when rates were up, you know, near twenty percent uh, at the end of that period, and and you know, we've had the biggest bull, bond bull market ever. Thirty years um, from eighty two to eighty eighty two. You, to... you could have bought zero coupons and paid no interest and made a fortune, but, right? Um, you know, but I didn't do that, so I, I stuck with the stock thing, um, and it, you know that that was that's worked out. It's worked out. <laughs> <laughs> enormously well but it also means that i was a late bloomer I mm-hmm. mean, because you know i'd put in 17 years before i started getting really paid back for uh well, you for my pay apprenticeship i paid my dues yes, but sir. i did it when i did it i did it because i loved it mm-hmm. and now i think people come in because they think they're gonna get rich I, well that's always the wrong way to, to approach way. anything yeah Right. If you're doing it for the money, then everything that's not putting money in your pocket is a misery. Right. If you're doing it because you love it, well, I'm not it. making money, but I'm having fun. So I, you know, I like, I like, I like. Obviously, I like engineering enough, you know. But I, I like the discipline of it and and, and the logic of it. Um, but when you added to that the market and the uncertainty and the ability to try and outguess other people, along with data, um, that became really exciting. Um, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't because I, you know, my dad was an electrician and I wanted to become a billionaire or something. Mm-hmm. And that, that was a farthest thing from my mind. It was just. It just, how do I it have just happened. Fun? It happened. <laughs> Truly, just happened. One of the one of those things. So maybe you you said before. Ah, I don't really think about a lot about luck. How much of what happened was just serendipitous? Serendipitous is the right word. For, yeah. No, that that I agree with. All right. But so you're slicing luck, the the luck factor a little more. Yeah, right place, right that. time, yep. and no doubt. Okay, so no th- doubt. so there's an element of luck to that. Sure. It, no, that part is luck. I agree. But individual things I did or whatever within I, that I, was I, a combination. I, of, I believe I created that. That's a combination of smarts and hard work yeah. and and application. Yeah. So um, so we know lots and lots of stuff have, has changed. In the past, what are some of the next shifts that you see in these industries from your vantage point, looking at technology and looking at the rate of change, which just seems to keep accelerating? Yeah, I think you're in this fascinating – I mean, one of the reasons I drifted to venture capital is because um, – 
Markets have become the, the economy is is matured. Um, we have we, right, so we have huge amounts of uh, social security, um, pension funds, uh, savings plans, IRAs, four hundred one ks, foundations, you know, trusts, you know, and and anybody who said we're just awash in liquidity, um, and so it's got to go someplace. Mm-hmm. So um, it needs a big engine solution to how do you intelligently manage all these assets. Plus, corporations, um, uh, in the U.S. at least, have, have, um, the, the one good thing about activism and all the other stuff is it's formed forced productivity that keep increasing in the United States, which has not been happening in the rest of the world. Even though the measures of productivity in the U.S. are, are softer than a lot of people say, yeah, is, that a, still is that a measurement problem, or do we still have good productivity here? I think we have good productivity. I think the economy is changing rapidly and the productivity in the areas that generate growth I think the productivity is good and then and then in the areas that don't produce growth capital is being returned um, mm-hmm. so so the capital part is more productive so there's there, there, we're awash in liquidity um, and uh, there's no worldwide there's not a lot of growth in the US the growth is obviously much slower than it used to be so somebody has to manage all of that money Mm-hmm. And you're not going to manage it by giving it to a guy like me back 30 years ago who's going to buy market caps under $200 million. Right. So, you know, you go to, you know, Ray Dalio's got a, you know, a great engine and um, other people have great engines. So you go to these algorithmic kind of things that, that, that are more formulaic than, mm-hmm. than what I ever used to do. Um, so, you know, when you say what's going to go on in the future, I think that those trends are going to continue. I think this 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 um, this innovation that we're seeing is um, is uh, there's no stopping it. And um, the way there's we no do, stopping there's innovation. No stopping it. And and what does that mean in terms of of U.S. growth, the change of of technology, and for the rest of the world economy? Um, I think it means. Um, don't bet against it? Well, for sure you don't bet against it, and you should bet with it. And um, there are going to be superior returns for people who, who fully understand it. Um, right now, it's uh, the jealousy or, or the envy factor is, is worked in, and so you're seeing all these comments on the unicorns and all that kind of stuff. You know, for 10% of the unicorns will work, but they'll be monster companies. I right. Mean, and, um, and I think that's the wrong focus. These trends, there is no... There, 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 there is, there is no changing these trends. Um, so the, the the amount of liquidity in the system is going to continue to increase. The amount of growth is going to diminish. The growth is going to shift from old ways of doing things to new ways of doing things. Uh, and there's huge opportunities for me um, in what I now do. God knows if there would be any opportunities in what I used to do. Okay, so we're running out of time. Let me get to the last two questions. These are my my favorite questions. Mm-hmm. First. What sort of advice would you give to a millennial or a college graduate today if they were interested in going into either asset management or venture capital? Get a job. Really? Yeah. Just just find some related job find, and yeah, plow just into Just get it. some get get a job in an industry. I would not come into this industry fresh out. I, I didn't. I went and worked in the aerospace industry for three years. So get some other sort of get tech some other experience, experience and then use that? Yep. And then last question, what do you know about the world of investing today that you wish you knew when you began 40 years ago? 
Oh, well, that's <laughs> – I knew nothing 40 years ago. I mean, I was uh, – you know, as I was, I was a wet behind the ears ex-college student, aeronautical engineer. Got in a carpool with Gabelli and Cooperman. Got fascinated by markets, which I had been a little bit interested in before, um, but I didn't know diddly. Um, so, so everything, everything every, you know today, everything. everything. <laughs> Art, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. This has really been a fascinating conversation. Um, and I really appreciate um, you spending so much time with us today. I appreciate the opportunity to tell the story. You've been listening to Masters in Business. Uh, I want to thank our, our engineer, Ken, my producer, Charlie, and my head of research, Mike Batnick. Uh, if you enjoy this conversation, look up an inch or down an inch on iTunes, and you could see the other 60 such conversations we've had. Be sure and check out my daily column on BloombergView.com or the big picture at Ritholtz.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ritholtz. I'm Barry Ritholtz. You've been listening to Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.